This evening, I would like to take the opportunity to consider a verse from the Dhammapada that you've heard me comment on before, one of my favorite verses, verse 290, which says that it is wisdom that leads to letting go of a lesser happiness than pursuit of a happiness which is greater. Again, it is wisdom that leads to letting go of a lesser happiness in pursuit of a happiness which is greater. And particularly, I'd like to consider this in the context of the evolution of how we relate to what we mean by going for refuge. I go for refuge to the Buddha, I go for refuge to the Dhamma, I go for refuge to the Sangha. And we start out with a certain experience of what that means. However, as it's my experience and my observation that this definitely changes as time goes by. And so how we feel about this evolution of what we mean by going for refuge. In the beginning, when we come across the Buddha's teachings and we're persuaded either intellectually, emotionally, or some way that we, we've come across something that is really relevant, something that is really meaningful, and, and it, it may not even necessarily be a rational reaction, it might be an intuitive response to this is important, these teachings ring true, and, and that can give rise to a lot of joy, a lot of gladness, and, and confidence. And I remember my own experience of reading my first Buddhist book, and I thought, wow, this is different. And, and that good feeling that comes from having discovered something, which is like finding a, a beautiful beach that you go for a picnic and it's just right. It's, and you, you want to go back there over and over again. It's, uh, it's quiet and uh, clean and you want to keep going back to it. So this is perfectly natural that we, when we come across the Buddha's teachings in the beginning, we have an initial enthusiasm that gives rise to a certain degree of confidence and a sense of security, an initial an initial experience of faith and belief that we want to commit ourselves to this. However, uh, the way it works is that the Buddha's teachings, in effect, require us to let go of those initial reactions of good feeling and security and confidence if we're practicing in the way that the Buddha wanted us to practice and not just clinging to conceptual level of understanding of, of the teachings, if we're actually applying these teachings, we're actually taking the medicine that the Buddha gave us, then the result is that we find ourselves not feeling so sure about all sorts of things, like, for instance, the encouragement to contemplate impermanence. And the Buddha very 
clear about all conditioned phenomena are impermanent. Anicca, Vada, Sankara. Something we over and over again encouraged to reflect on the impermanence of everything, every thought, feeling, sensation, concept, everything. It's all unstable. That alone can punch a bit of a hole in some of our sense of certainty of what life is all about. Also, if we apply ourselves to the various upaya, the various skillful means that that the Buddha gave us and learned discipline attention and quiet in the heart, quiet in the mind, focus attention, maybe we start to experience some tranquility, which is very agreeable. That can strengthen our our faith initially, strengthen our confidence, we want more of that and so we want to go on another retreat we want to do more meditation have more tranquility, more joy and so we get really enthusiastic about that however what we don't see as we become deeply relaxed and build up this energy that comes with stillness and tranquility what effectively we're doing is dissolving our habits of denial we didn't even know we had habits of denial probably Maybe we had some idea about habits of denial. We thought that's something that seriously neurotic people do. Didn't realize that we're all doing this. We're all denying aspects of life, particularly those painful aspects, the challenges of life that we don't know how to deal with, that we don't want to deal with. We push them into unawareness, something that we human beings are very, very good at doing, denying the pain of life. Denied dukkha, as you heard me speaking often recently, DDB, denied dukkha backlog. All of us who are unawakened are walking around with a burden of DDB, denied dukkha backlog. And what happens when we apply the Buddha's teachings, these various upaya, effectively we dissolve these habits of denial, we dissolve our armor, and guess what happens? These flare-ups of wild, untamed energy, the anger that we, we thought we'd, didn't even exist, or, or sadness that we didn't know was there, or disappointment. We thought we kind of handled that little issue that happened ten years ago, and here it is again. We don't have to go very far along this path before our initial faith and confidence in the Buddha's teachings, feels challenged. Once again, if all we're doing is reading about the Buddha's teachings, we can spend many years becoming experts in quoting the Buddha's scriptures. We can translate, we can become a world-renowned translator of the Buddha's teachings, but still haven't managed to deal with our addiction to alcohol. That's our different relationship to the Buddha's teachings. Here we're talking about applying the teachings and practicing. And if we do practice, then as I said, it won't be long before our initial faith and confidence that in the beginning we were wowed by, it doesn't convince us anymore. And so partly this is why I wanted to address this tonight and to see that it can be very skillful to prepare ourselves for this, to prepare ourselves that this relationship we have with going for refuge is an evolving 
matter. It's not a fixed thing. And just because we start to have doubts and not feel so good about the teachings and the techniques, the upaya, just because we have doubts and disappointment and disillusionment doesn't mean to say that the teachings aren't working. It might mean that the teachings are actually working because it could well be, it almost certainly is. In the beginning, our relationship with the refugees was rather naive. I was talking the other day about hope. There can be wholesome, skillful hopefulness. There can also be naive hopefulness. And probably most of us begin with a kind of naive quality of hopefulness. Now that's not to say that we're wrong or there's anything bad about that. It's just to acknowledge it as it changes to be ready to accord with that. And when we feel challenged, say, all right, there this is, this is my initial level of faith is now feeling challenged. And if we are prepared for that, then maybe there's a better chance that we can accord with it. There was an occasion when Ajahn Chah commented to the monks. I, I referenced this yesterday. It was, it was Ajahn Chah's birthday yesterday and a, a short talk I gave to the gathering, the meal, I, I referenced this occasion where Ajahn Chah was speaking to the monks. He said, the reason you guys don't know anything is because you know so much. Knowing so much is knowing about things, the approximations, the concepts, which are wonderfully useful. To know about things means that we can get started in looking into things, start to consider things. However, if all we've got, the only knowledge we've got is knowing about things, like knowing about the Buddha's teachings, the Pali Canon, as I said, being a world-renowned expert on translating Pali, however, not managing to deal with your addictive behavior, that is unfortunate. You can know about what the Buddha was saying, and not really know what it means to pay careful, skillful, sensitive attention to the feeling of anger when it arises. To have studied the Abhidhamma and know what a dosamula jitta is, is one thing. To have a sufficiently well-developed, embodied quality of awareness so that when the fire of anger is possessing our hearts, to be able to stay there with the actual quality of patient endurance, with the actual interest, with the steadiness of attention, that's applying the teachings. That's different from believing that the Buddha is amazing. You know, when we first come across the teachings, this is amazing, the Dhamma is amazing, the Buddha is amazing. And that's true, the Buddha is amazing. However, the idea that the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha are amazing is very different from having the confidence to stop following that fire that's flared up in our belly, possessed our heart, and then go up into our head and start creating stories. And the next thing you know, coming out through our speech or through our fists, that's not having applied Buddha's teachings. So knowing about, as Ajahn Chah was saying, so much 
as far as he was concerned, he could get in the way of knowing things directly. You know, we can we can think we know, and if we cling, as we probably most of us most of the time do, cling to our thoughts, we can convince ourselves that we know something. This is not really knowing. This is not directly knowing. This is knowing about, and it has an important place, it absolutely has an important place, discriminative intelligence where we can speculate and extrapolate about things, give rise to energy, give rise to interest, and direct our attention. However, if we're applying these teachings seriously, skillfully, consistently, then maybe what we discover is that our investigation becomes more like a feeling investigation. Yes, there's the thinking, there's the using the approximations about impermanence of conditions, and about dukkha, and suffering of all existence when we cling to it, about not-self, anicca, dukkha, anatta, and learning about these principles and has its place, investing and thinking about them. And in the process of investing and thinking about them, it's like, it's like cultivating pathways within our heart, within our mind, so that eventually maybe we start to find that instead of having to keep thinking about, this means that and that means this, and what do the Buddha say about that? And, oh, I've got to go look that up in a book, or maybe I should find a teacher who can tell me this. And all this. Maybe what we start to find is that we can feel into our own condition. Because it's a feeling inquiry. Like, for instance, the, the shift from the good feeling of having a conceptual knowledge about existence. All conditioned phenomena is impermanent. All conditioned phenomena is dukkha. We can know of this. Sabe sankara anicca. Sabe sankara dukkha. And this is interesting. And we can have this information about sankara. And we can feel really good. All so, oh, right, that explains a lot of things. No wonder I was so anxious. And, oh, right, we, we know about it. It gives an, an explanation. However, if we cling to the good feeling that comes from knowing, then when we're faced with the fact that a lot of the time we really don't know, don't know very much at all, when we're faced with that fact, we can't handle it. And this is where we discover for ourselves the inherent limitation of knowing about things. It's not to denigrate knowing about things, it's just to acknowledge the limitation of knowing about. Approximations are just that. They're not the real thing. The experience of encountering not knowing can be very challenging. However, if we've been practicing properly, if we've been applying these teachings that the Buddha gave us, and not just clinging to the initial good feeling of discovering the Buddha's teachings, if we've been practicing properly, then what we're doing is we're cultivating those qualities of heart, those qualities of mind that sustain us when we're challenged with not knowing. Like you, you get a medical diagnosis that says you've got cancer, and we don't know what the result's going to be, we don't know how far it's metastasized, we, we don't know whether we can treat it, and how does that affect us? Well, if we're faced with not knowing something of, of that serious as that, it can be enormously challenging. 
However, if we've prepared ourselves with the discipline of attention, which is sati, we've prepared ourselves with conscious composure, which is indriya samara, and we have a foundation and integrity, commitment to integrity, which is sila, sila, sati, and indriya samara, these primary tools in our spiritual toolkit, these equip us so that when we're faced with not knowing, we don't have to just go and look up a book and try and rekindle that initial faith that we had when we first came across the teachings. Now going for refuge means something else altogether. It's not that we don't believe the Buddha is amazing. It's not that we've given up on that, not at all. Rather, we're not just looking at the Buddha's finger pointing in a certain direction. Now we're looking in the direction the Buddha was pointing. That's quite different. So equipping ourselves with the capacity to meet ourselves where we feel deeply challenged takes a different sort of effort than that of clinging to beliefs. We start out in practice, as I said, quite rightly, quite understandably, relieved to come across a teaching that doesn't require us to compromise our intelligence and cling to some belief or other. Even the beliefs that we hold to, we hold to lightly and respectfully, and we're always encouraged to inquire. Maybe you've come across that example in the scriptures where the Buddha gave a teaching on, hmm, I think it was the law of karma, and he was talking, I think he was teaching on the law of karma, and uh, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. And at the end of the talk, he, he turned to Venerable Sariputta, who was next to him, and, and said, what do you think about this teaching, Sariputta? And Sariputta said, well, that's, I'll go away and think about that. And the Buddha praised him, said, very good, Sariputta. Very good. That's the right attitude. Even if it's the words of the Buddha, we're not asked to blindly cling to these teachings. We don't dismiss them. That would be naive, that would be foolish. However, blindly believing and enthusing about the good feelings that come from clinging to a belief system, we need to move on from that and learn to equip ourselves with the capacity for not knowing, for feeling not sure. We love knowing. It's it's understandable. I'm sure scientists who study evolution will tell us there's there's good reasons why we, we like to know stuff makes us feel very secure. We like to feel like we know stuff. However, there's different levels of knowing. And what the Buddha wanted us to do was to not just know about, but to know directly. And that means, as we started off by saying, we're required to let go of a lesser happiness in pursuit of a happiness which is greater. The lesser happiness is the initial faith and good feelings that we experience when we come across teachings that make sense. The happiness that is greater is the happiness that the Buddha spoke about, which comes from not clinging to any condition, any fixed opinion or view. Even like the view that I know what I'm doing. If we do invest in the cultivation of sila, of sati, Indriya Samara, the commitment to integrity, which is the foundation of practice, 
the commitment to the cultivation of disciplined attention, which gives us a, a quality of presence so that when when we encounter life's difficulties, we can be there for we don't just run away, cultivating Indriya Samara, which is conscious composure, which means the habitual tendencies to always send the heart energy out after sights, sounds and smells and so on. Always looking out there for a solution, looking out there for an answer, rather turning the attention inwards looking inwards, feeling inwards. If there's Indriya Sangra, then there's the intentional inhibition of that exuberance. And instead of getting interested in something out there, it's getting interested in what is the truth to discover in here. When we feel deeply challenged by, for instance, not knowing, I don't know if this is going to work out. Can we feel not knowing? Can we feel uncertain? Now, when we reach this stage of practice, obviously we're talking about feeling challenged here. If we're not prepared, if we're still feeling overly pleased with our initial relationship with the refuges, then maybe we feel, oh, I haven't got what it takes, or maybe I've got a wrong grasp on the teachings. Well, Maybe we just need to be more subtle and stop always looking outwards for the solution. Feel inwards. Exercise these teachings that the Buddha has given. Rather than looking for more information, more data to accumulate, which again is part of the culture we live in. It's just like this. We just need more data. Maybe we need less data. Maybe we need a quieter heart, a quieter mind, and a more accurate quality of feeling investigation so that we start to see what it means to want to be sure. What does wanting to be sure actually feel like in our chest, in our guts, in our shoulders? Wanting to be sure. The idea of wanting to be sure, that's one thing. That's easy, the idea of wanting to be sure. It's a bunch of words kind of approximate something. Not, it's not unimportant, however, it's not, it's not the real thing. The real thing is a movement, it's energy. It's energy. Can we bring our attention down out of our heads and let go of the concepts of what wanting to be sure feels like and actually feel it in our hearts and feel as from the perspective of interest, not just a greedy impulse to get rid of it. We might think that we're really working with the desire to feel sure, when in fact what we're doing is fueling the impulse to get rid of it. We power tanha. What is we power tanha? As a concept, we power tanha, the desire to get rid of. It's interesting. That's, that's great. That's really helpful. Actually, what does it look like? What does it feel like? in the body, in the heart, wanting to get rid of something? What is our relationship to that, wanting to get rid of it? Do we have the space in our hearts, in our awareness, to be able to let that be there and study it with interest rather than reacting against it? So, instead of 
going for refuge to the Buddha being a way of making ourselves feel secure in a conceptual, on a conceptual level, going for refuge to the Buddha might start to mean that we direct attention to the very feeling of being unsure and learning how to allow it to be there. Instead of demanding that this feeling of being unsure and uncertain be replaced with that old familiar feeling of being sure and being certain again, that feeling that we remember from the past. We don't have that feeling right now. What we have now is feeling unsure, uncertain. Now maybe going for refuge, the Buddha means we're letting ourselves to feel that without fighting it, without resisting it, without judging it, without assuming anything about it, without labeling it even. Maybe in the beginning it's useful to label it, then perhaps we get to a stage where you just stop even labeling it and just let it be there in spacious, open-hearted awareness. Feeling uncertain can be a deeper aspect of practice if we're really, truly feeling it. On this subject, I was recently talking with a friend of mine who's a a psychotherapist who he has been working as a psychotherapist for a, a good number of years and and he was saying how these these days he doesn't really have much of a technique or system to deal with his clients. He just makes the effort to be there with them. And when they start manifesting their fear of uncertainty and anxiety, he sees his job as just to let that feeling be there with him, just to feel with them to empathize with them, just to feel with them their fear of uncertainty. No judgment. No trying to fix it. Sometimes when you're with somebody and they're suffering, there can be a strong impulse to try and fix them. What's that? Where's that coming from? It could be coming from just the place of our not wanting to feel it within ourselves. This friend was saying that he, he feels he's a better therapist for, for this approach not trying to fix people, rather exercising the ability to just be with people in their fear of uncertainty and let it be there. That's how I understood what this is. And likewise, this is what a, a good Dhamma teacher can do. A student comes to them and expresses their fear. And they don't have to fix the student, don't have to quote scripture at them, rather be there with them and by way of example, demonstrate to them that it's okay to feel uncertain. It's okay to feel unsure. Yes, that longing to feel sure can be there. Is it wise to follow it? Or is following that just another form of craving? And how do we answer that question? Well, probably not from reading a book. It's rather from reading our hearts, reading our guts, reading our bodies. Letting go of the initial security that we got from clinging to ideas about practice and meeting ourselves where we're at. It's a very different approach. If we talk about it, it might not sound as inspiring to consciously feel unsure consciously feel uncertain. In terms of practice, holding on to the idea that the Buddha is amazing, that's very initial. 
exercising the capacity for meeting ourselves in our embarrassing inadequacy without being defined by that, that also can be amazing. And thank you very much for seeing me for your attention.